What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Hardwood Knox Podcast. My name is Dan Favalli, coming at you with my super duper, incredibly esteemed, awesome times awesome, fantabulous, spectaculario, officially now the big analytic co-host, Andrew <laughs> D. Bailey. Before we get started, hopping into just some recent NBA happenings, getting off of our holiday hiatus where we took more than a minute off i just want to remind beg plead implore everyone to continue rating reviewing and subscribing to us on itunes it is the best way for you to continue helping the podcast please just take the 10 to 15 seconds out of your day search hardware knocks on itunes throw us a five-star rating write a review subscribe if you haven't already recommend us to friends family enemies frenemies randos on the street we appreciate it all you can also find us wherever else you consume your audio listening thingy majiggies. Um, with that said, and that out of the way, we get to some recent NBA stuffs. But first, we do have to ask Andy, how are you doing in the year two thousand and nineteen? Doing great. Uh, excited to be back on the podcast. Like you said, it's been a little bit for us, and I guess we've had some news that has taken place since our. Last episode, especially yesterday. Yes, we had. We should probably start there. I did not. I. It's just we we talked about it. Tom Thibodeau was fired, reported by uh, John Krasinski of the Athletic, along with Shams uh, Sharania, his colleague at the Athletic, and then Woj, of course, coming in with the news as well. They all had a bunch of different stuff from it. But from what it sounds like, is that after the Minnesota Timberwolves blew out the Los Angeles Lakers. Um, they walked into Tom Thibodeau's office and they fired him, uh, coach and president, uh, Tom Thibodeau. And it seems that there were a lot of factors. We know his days were really numbered from the Jimmy Butler saga, from the Jimmy Butler tour de force. But I always thought that they would just give him the season before making a decision since they probably weren't going to make the playoffs this year anyway. And I know that they're not terribly far out of of the race as it stands but it's just really hard to make if you're 11th in the west that's fine but there are just so many other teams vying for position right now and so yes they're two games out of the playoffs but that just feels like a mountain when you have teams like the jazz still out of the playoffs the lakers are at eighth and they haven't had lebron for a minute the mavericks um are in 13th the pelicans are in 14th and and they're only no more than three games out so it seems like this decision was made at least in part because season ticket renewals might have been coming up or something like that. But I'm just curious as to what you make of the timing of it. Yeah, the timing was weird. Um, I think you and I have speculated about Thibodeau's job security at various points uh, over the last year or so. And I, I think both of us kind of came to the conclusion that he would probably see out the rest of the year. Um, Right now, uh, 
going back to your point about them making the playoffs, 538 has them at a 26% chance of making the playoffs. I'm not sure switching to an interim coach in uh, January on January 6th, 7th, whatever it is, um, is going to vault you into the playoffs. I don't, I don't even know if that's their end game. Um, maybe they, maybe there was just enough tension between the front office and uh, Thibodeau for, I mean, I guess technically he is the front office, but uh, <laughs> maybe there was enough tension between him and the higher ups over the last couple of weeks that it just didn't even matter what they were doing right now. They just <laughs> want to full stop, move on to something else. And I, I can understand it. I don't think he's a coach that I think the game has sort of passed by over the last few years in some ways. Um, so I understand why they maybe want to go in a different direction, but like you said, the timing is definitely weird. And it's not like relative to what could have happened after the Jimmy Butler trade. They haven't been awful. They are 15 and 12. They've been better. Butler. Yeah. They're 15 and 12 since the Jimmy Butler trade. Their, their offense was 11th in points scored per 100 possessions. Their defense was 10th. So their net rating plus four points per 100 possessions. Um, Andrew Wiggins was playing a little bit better. I feel like over the past couple games, Derek Rose, while he's been on the sidelines recently, has wedged his way into the sixth man of the year conversation. And, and some of his Rose buds will probably give him MVP votes on Twitter as well if they need to. I'm just looking at um, a reason since then that they would get rid of him. Is it not playing... Dario Saric enough, you know, still giving more minutes to Taj Gibson, not giving enough or enough consistent minutes to Josh Okogie. I, I honestly, I do not know. They must have just had this in their heads and decided that we need to do this now. And maybe they recognize that fighting for the 10th or 11th seed in the West, just to say you were within close proximity to the playoffs, wasn't worth it. Yeah, I, it's hard to think of a reason. Um, since the Butler trade, because they have been better. Another guy who's been better since Butler left is Carl Anthony Towns. He's, who's that? What's that? Who's that? <laughs> I, I thought I'd cut out again or something. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, he's been great for the last few weeks. Um, like you said, Derrick Rose has been good. And and I think the last time I looked this lineup up, um, when when Robert Covington, who came over in that, trade for Jimmy Butler has been on the floor with with Carl Anthony Towns the Timberwolves have been really really good um so yeah I mean <laughs> I, I think we're just kind of circling around it at this point there's just just hard to figure out why they would do it now not necessarily hard to figure out why they would do it in general um but it's odd do you think that this is the start of uh maybe a domino effect is there anybody else that's going to be on the move. I mean, I posed the question last night on Twitter. Do you think anybody would even take a shot at Andrew Wiggins deal? Um, <laughs> I can't imagine the wall dang will be there much longer. They cut James Nunnally yesterday. I, I wonder if there'll be any more turnover with the wolves. Um, I, don't, I don't even know if it's possible because I think your laugh after the Andrew Wiggins question is appropriate. I don't know who would trade for him at this point. I, I got nothing for you. Maybe if the Grizzlies kind of thought that if they were getting off the Chandler Parsons deal, Nice little segue there, right? Um, yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, I don't know. The Andrew Wiggins deal, it just feels like it goes – his contract is going to come off the books before Anthony Davis's, and it still feels like his goes on forever for some reason. Um, he is owed – this is a number everyone knows, but 
including this year, five years, $147.7 million. I don't know who's taking a chance on that. I don't even, if I'm the Grizzlies, I'm not trading. I wouldn't trade Chandler Parsons for Andrew Wiggins straight up right now. And that's not to say that Andrew Wiggins won't get better, but that contract, that's the next half decade of eating up between, let's say, 20 and maybe 25% of your cap, assuming all these progressions. That's just, that's so, that that just hamstrings you for so long if he doesn't pan out. I'd be more on that. What's that? When I when I posted that on Twitter, uh, Micah Adams, he used to write for ESPN. I don't know if he's still there, but he suggested Charlotte if you could get off of like Batum's deal. That'd be interesting. I, I mean, it's the same sort of. Do you have time uh, for a quick Nicholas Batum anecdote? Yes, let's hear it. I had a, I was writing trades uh, about trades last week, and so I came up with a Batum trade because he was in the rumor mill. And it was whether or not, I'm not even going to go through it because it was a complicated three-teamer, but he ended up on the Spurs, who also wound up getting two picks and off of Pau Gasol's deal. And Spurs fans, some of them came at me on Twitter because I said within the article that San Antonio is cozying up to mediocrity and they need to decide whether they want to continue to go for it or if they want to hit reset. And this deal was obviously them kind of going for it while also picking up, you know, maybe it's a late first rounder and maybe it's an early second rounder, but those are the picks that they as a franchise have hit on in the past. And they were just like, the Spurs aren't mediocre. Uh, mediocre. They're clearly great. Have you seen what they've done? And uh, my point is, we know they're first in net rating since December 1st. We know their defense has been better during that time. We know that their offense has been really good during that time. The Spurs are not a great team. And I picked them to make the playoffs and I'm not going to move off that just because I like to be wrong and stick to my my morals when I am wrong. But the Spurs, are th- their road record is still a problem. They've won some of those big games when the teams had injuries. You look at the Raptors didn't have Kyle Lowry. Uh, the Nuggets were banged up when they beat them one of those times. So I, I think we need to get off the boat of the Spurs are this serious threat in the Western Conference. Will they make the playoffs? I, I still think they will. But they are six games over five hundred and... It's funny how Spurs, some Spurs fans still think that they're like this championship contender. And I just don't think we can pencil them in to that box, no matter how closely contested the West is. I'm sorry, but I was dealing with that fallout. I think it was like Friday night or something. And I just found it absolutely hysterical that they weren't mad. I didn't call the Spurs bad. I, 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 called, I said that they were cozying up to mediocrity and that really, that set them off. I think that's a fair assessment. <laughs> um. They have been really good for the last few weeks, but I don't, I don't think many people could objectively look at that team and think it's a title contender or anything. Watch them win the championship now. Yeah, <laughs> that'd be pretty cool for Demar Derozan, but uh, I don't see it happening. Anyway, please, you said for the Nicholas Batum deal and, and Andrew Wiggins. I just, I guess, if you're Charlotte and you know you're going to sign Kemba Walker for five years and you're that committed, yeah. but does he is Andrew is Andrew Wiggins better right now than Nicholas Batum? And I'm going to preface this by saying Nicholas Batum is second to last on the Charlotte Hornets in shot attempts, per, uh, in, in points per 36 minutes, in front of only Bismack Biombo. He like That's a scary re- stat. What, he, I, I heard something about his usage the other day, too, which would coincide with that. It's, right, it's only in front of Bismack on, on the Hornets, like all that stuff. It's career wild. level usage. Yeah, I mean he's he's having a weird season. I'd still say he's probably better than Andrew Wiggins. Um, 
I think you, if you're a team that wants to trade for him, you're just talking yourself into potential and he was never in the right situation. He's still, how old is Andrew Wiggins? He can't be older than like 23. Um, I mean, some, yeah, he's 23. So maybe it's a team like, um, I'm not saying the Nets would be the team, but some team that has the same sort of thinking as the Nets. Let's take a chance on a guy who was a lottery pick. It just didn't pan out where he was. And maybe he needs a different situation, a different coach. Um, I'm I'm not ready to give up on Andrew Wiggins yet. I'm close. Um, but I do think maybe one or two other situations where you could see just some other side of him might be possible. If you're, I guess objectively right now, if they're going to move him this season, which I don't, I don't think that they will, nor do I think they can. Is he someone you need to attach a, a pick to or sweeteners to at this point? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I guess it depends on if Minnesota's taking a bad or semi-bad contract back. Um, well, even if it's a – let's say it's Chandler Parsons. I You might have to sweeten it for that because his deal is he, – he's on the books for so much longer than Parsons is. I mean, Parsons' last – the last deal of his contract is next season, right? Yep. So that one's not, like, that hard to swallow. Um if you're Minnesota, Wiggins has what four years after this one? Yep, <laughs> that's that's a pretty drastic difference. Um, so yeah, maybe maybe they do have to attach a sweetener. Uh, how much longer is Batum's deal? Is he two years after this one? Yeah, two years. He has a player option for 2021 that I'm just gonna assume he'll pick up. <laughs> I can't see him turning down 27.1 million in 2021. Um, that of all the responses I got, I mean, a lot of people threw out a bunch of other sort of cellar dwellers like the the Suns and the Hawks, and um, those teams make some sense. As I feel like the of, Hawks are a little, I don't want to say too smart because I feel like that's insulting, but <laughs> they're more calculated than to take on Andrew Wiggins's deal yeah. in the next four or five years. I could, I could see the thinking for a tanking team to do that and just to take a swing on a guy who was a number one pick not too long ago. Um, but the one that I think intrigues me the most is the Charlotte deal. Um, just because well, what was, when was the last time Charlotte signed a big time free agent? Does Batum count? And they even traded for him. So yeah. I guess they signed Gordon Hayward, right? And he wasn't that big at the time, but it's not that big uh, now. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, it's an interesting, it's an interesting question. I think they're, uh, there's the potential for more fallout after this Tom Thibodeau firing. I just I just don't know how likely it is given the the contracts that are on the books. Taj Gibson's probably a buyout candidate at some point now. I'd say he's a trade candidate, but I don't know if the Wolves we're talking about them trying to get rid of Andrew Wiggins's deal. I don't know if they'd be he'd be interesting if you're willing to take back long term salary, but I don't know if they're open to doing that with him. And if they are they just gonna be committed to a rebuild just some sort of direction right now to where they would want to buy him out or move him. And if they are going to rebuild, I'm just going to say that Robert Covington becomes an interesting name, probably not towards the trade deadline unless Minnesota is just full blown. Let's try and get top five pick this year or something, but he he's 28. That's not, he's a really good player. Really, really good. Such a good uh, team defender uh, can basically defend you could probably stretch him to four positions, but he does really good against traditional wings and then any sort of guard you want to put him up against. 
he doesn't need the ball in his hands on, on the offensive end, can shoot above a league average clip from three. You don't want him putting the ball on the floor too much, but again, he can handle some of the, the straight line stuff. I I would be very interested this summer, or maybe we'll hear his name coming out at the trade deadline, should the Timberwolves start. I don't even know what they're going to have to start doing because they can play Dario Saric more and you know they can play Josh Kogi more, and maybe that leads to some losses and puts him in a weird position, but he is... He's a very good player. I just don't know. And his contract is more than reasonable. But is he someone that if you are going to rebuild or start over that you keep? Or do you capitalize on his trade value right now? And I'm not even I'm not giving an opinion here. I don't know what you do one way or the other because I would see a case for both arguments since 28 isn't terribly old and his contract is so cheap. But at the same time, does he fit a, a rebuilding timeline? I, I would not know. Is that even what the Timberwolves are planning to do after this? That's just something we kind of have to monitor in the in the weeks and, and months, I guess, to come. Yeah, I think they're going to be an interesting team to monitor. You want to hear something crazy that I just did? Always. Um, when I looked up Batum's contract while we were talking about him, I noticed that he's played 10 seasons already, and through those 10 seasons, ending in last season, he had made $94.9 million. Um, over the next three seasons, his his career earnings is going to go from $94.9 million to $171.7 million. Good for him. <laughs> Get that bag. That's amazing. Um, yeah, that's just incredible. Deals these days are wild. Anything? Do you have any thoughts on the Covington thing for Minnesota? Yeah, I agree with what you're saying. Um, I don't know if he necessarily fits a like blow it up and and build from scratch timeline. I, I guess we'll see over the next couple, or I guess it's down to a month now between now and the trade deadline to the day uh, as we record this. Oh wow! So we'll get a little bit clearer picture about what their thinking is um, over the next month. I, I do think. I, I like, like you said, I think he's a good player and I think he could be a good fit next to towns and, um, even Wiggins, if they end up keeping Wiggins, then he's a good guy who can cover for some of Wiggins defensive, um, issues, but he certainly doesn't fit the, the same timeline that 23 year old towns and 23 year old Wiggins are on. So it, he'll, he'll be a name to monitor for sure. Jeff Teague, I guess too. Derek Rose is going to have to find a new home after this year. Yeah, he almost certainly will. Um, Teague is interesting, too, just because Tyus Jones has been pretty good for them off the bench for the last two years. Um, now they have to ask, it. not that it was an easy question before, but if they're not going to fancy themselves playoff hopefuls leading into next season, do you pay him? And if you're not going to pay him, should you look at moving him now? Who, Teague? No, Tyus Jones. Oh. Entering restricted free agency. <laughs> Obviously, um, my guess I, would be Teague picks up his nineteen million dollar player option. If I had to like sum it up, I would say that there can't be anybody other than Towns who's like untouchable at this point, right? Yeah, I would probably agree with you there. Um, but he, I mean, he's the guy that you. He still has the potential to be one of the best bigs ever. I mean, he's. I think we've grown kind of numb to what he's done over the course of his first four years. Um, you don't see big guys put up numbers like his too often anymore. 22, 12, almost three assists a game for his career. 
Um, he's almost up to two blocks a game this season, which is encouraging. Uh, hits over a three a game, almost a 39% three-point shooter. His numbers are insane, uh, and he's only 23 years old. So you got to do whatever you can to keep him ha- happy and, and build a team that works around him. Um, but other than that, it's it's. Uh, I think everybody should be fair game. I am 100% with you there. The other thing that happened, actually, maybe we should go here first. The Minnesota Timberwolves' former player, Jimmy Butler, uh, just before the weekend started. Yeah. Uh, this is per uh, Adrian Wojnarowski and, and Ramona Shelbourne. He has communicated his unhappiness to the Sixers head coach, Brett Brown, with his role and how he's being used with the Sixers. He wants to get more ISOs and run more pick and rolls, was in the report which is funny because someone tweeted this out. If you go back to his introductory press conference, he was talking about how there's other ways for him to get the ball than running pick and roll and ISOs, like getting offensive rebounds, cutting, and things like that. So it was just kind of a complete 180 there. Do you make any... And the other thing in in that report that I found more interesting than Butler being or Butler talking to the Sixers about his role was that now teams kind of expect him to take meetings over the summer in free agency. And everyone was and still is just assuming that Butler is going to re-sign with the 76ers after that deal. It would be catastrophically bad for the Sixers if he does not. Imagine if he just walks now. And I don't think things are at that point just because the Sixers aren't bad. They're still fighting for a home court advantage spot in the East. But if he's going to take meetings in free agency, if they're unable to just find that perfect fit or strike a balance within the awkwardness that exists between Jimmy Butler, Ben Simmons and, and Joel Embiid functionally. That's there's just, there are now so many questions about this franchise. When you look at Markel Fultz, maybe how are they going to use their cap space this summer? Do they have another trade in them? And, and if Jimmy Butler were to leave, it would just be, I, I don't even know what to make of it. I would still, my guess, my guesstimate would be that he returns to Philly, but I think this is interesting in the sense that it, now it's definitely something to monitor if he's already unhappy when we're, you know, less than two months into his Sixers tenure. Do you remember when the uh, when all the drama was still happening with him in Minnesota at the beginning of the season? Um, I was I was pretty skeptical of him on any team. <laughs> there, he just has. He seems like he's been a malcontent for two or three years now. Um, I don't remember if it started before this, but there was certainly the issues in Chicago with him and Dwayne Wade versus like all the young guys in Rondo. Um, then there's obviously the issues in Minnesota for two seasons there, or, or like just over one little, little over one season there. Um, and then within, like you said, like within a month or two, it starts up in Philly. Uh, it's just crazy. Somebody tweeted something like right after that news broke that Jimmy Butler carries himself like a four-time champion, four-time MVP or something. And I guess good for him to, to be that confident in himself, but it has not, it has not benefited his teams really over the last few years. I mean, statistically all the teams that he's been on have been much better when he plays because he's a very, very good player. But he's now blown up, and I'm not going to say he's blown up Philly's locker room yet, but he blew up Minnesota, he blew up Chicago. Um, (laughs) 
he has the potential of blowing up three locker rooms in the course of three or four years. Um, and yeah, Philly would be in some serious trouble if he did leave. But if, I mean, if he's a long-term part of their future, I, I think they're just going to continue to have chaos there. Um, you know, if he resigns long-term, I don't think it would, I, people are already talking about Ben Simmons being traded, which is crazy to me. That, that noise will become a lot louder if Jimmy Butler signs an extension uh, with the Sixers or signs a new deal with the Sixers. Uh, I, I just think there's going to be a lot of drama wherever he goes for the next, I don't know, three or four years of his career. It's, I don't know how you looked at the potential fit with the Sixers and thought that he would be able to get those types of touches in volume. I don't know. Like if you're Jimmy Butler, this shouldn't come as a surprise. I know some people have been critical about how Brett Brown is using everybody, but it's really tough when you're just looking, let's just look at the minutes they play together. And this has been talked about ad nauseum. How do you have Jimmy Butler on the ball at all? Because you don't really know what to do with Ben Simmons when he's off the ball just yet. He's not the, the hardest cutter to the basket and he doesn't really move around a ton off the ball at all. And Joel Embiid isn't really, shooting he shoots from three-point range and I guess that helps but do you put Ben Simmons in the post Joel Embiid runs high pick and roll with with Jimmy Butler and and even then now you know Embiid has to pop it's not going to be a situation where he's going to dive to the basket I this just shouldn't be a surprise to him I don't think the Sixers have necessarily done anything wrong here it's just it shouldn't be a surprise to to Butler if this is in fact how he feels maybe you can carve out more me time for him, where he's by himself right now, per Queen in the Glass, he's only played 28 possessions without Simmons and Embiid on the floor. But you look at Embiid, it just you just look at that balance. It's probably why would you ever want one of these guys on the floor by themselves at any point? So, it, it, so funny it's about this. Um, right now, Jimmy Butler is taking 20.8 field goal attempts per hundred possessions with the Sixers. And 6.6 free throw attempts. Um, his previous three seasons, he was taking 21.6 field goal attempts per hundred possessions. So <laughs> not far off there. Uh, but he was taking 10.6 free throw attempts. So two extra trips to the line, about one extra shot. Um, so all he needs is three more possessions over the course of the game. I, <laughs> it's an interesting thing to throw a fit about, especially if, when you're on a team that has more talent than he's had over the last few years. Um, I, I just don't know what he, he wants to be happy. I, I guess he wants to be Kobe Bryant and be able to take like 20 to 25 shots a game. And um, I'm sorry. I've heard that name way too much this season. All of a sudden, Austin <laughs> Rivers using Kobe to compare to what James Harden's doing lately. Yeah. Jason Tatum shot selection at the beginning of the season. We need to let it go. <laughs> Kobe's gone. I'm th- I, I, I hate talking about Kobe. Let's move on. You know what's funny is James Harden statistically has been way better than Kobe's ever was at any point in his career. Um, but that's a different discussion. Um, anyway, I just I don't know really what's going to make Jimmy Butler happy at this point. Because I think if he gets what he wants, where he is like the unquestioned number one guy, um, gets as many ISOs and pick and rolls as he wants, uh, plays for this tough, hard-nosed team. It's not going to be a very good team. Um, I I don't think he's a number one on a title-winning team. So I I just uh, Do you know, I, I just don't know what he really wants. 
so here's what's interesting too is that so when he was with Minnesota this season uh Jimmy Butler's touch time 43.3% of his shot attempts came while holding the ball between 2 and 6 seconds that wow. number with the Sixers 44.3%. So 44.3% of his shots are coming while holding the ball between 2 and 6 seconds. Um more of his touches are coming under when he has the ball for under 2 seconds uh and and fewer are coming when he has it for 6 plus seconds and so he is I guess in that sense sort of holding the ball less but he hasn't his just his his shot distribution hasn't changed so drastically and it's as you pointed out with the shots now it's clearly about how his shots are coming and not necessarily the volume then yeah and that's I don't want to say that's a weird thing but when people talk about that it just proves that there is this there is this aesthetic this this egotistical value to how you're used on offense. It's not just about the number of shots. It's not just about the points uh, being scored. And it's, it's not just about then in, in that sense winning. Although maybe, maybe if the Sixers are, I don't know, if they're 23 and four instead of 18 and nine since the trade, are, are you hearing this from Butler? I don't know, but it's, that's just interesting to look at because his shots are, it's not like he's holding the ball too much less. Yes. He's tasked more with, um, I mean, his catch and shoot numbers, his frequency isn't even up by that much. So he is doing, there's, there's that aspect of, yes, I, I have the ball less at points compared to when I was really allowed to like ground and pound it in Minnesota, but it's not like he just doesn't have the ball ever in Minnesota. That's true. And I don't think anybody should be holding the ball for more than six seconds. Uh, the, the Mike D'Antoni Phoenix Suns would agree. Yeah. But not the Mike D'Antoni Rockets. No, no, not not at all. <laughs> Who are all of a sudden good now, too? The Rockets. Uh, James Harden, a lot of people have him as their MVP favorite, and I really can't argue there. I'd probably still put Giannis just looking at I the was, entire season's body of work. But Yeah, I was going to say, do you have him first? Because I think I still have Giannis. I do, too, just because it's an entire body of work thing, and he... I, you know how you're talking about how we're numb to Carl Anthony Towns. I feel like we're at that point with Giannis Antetokounmpo, and because he hasn't had that trademark stretch and has just been doing this all season, it's almost hurting him than if James Harden has used the past, you know, the, definitely the past eight Chris Paulist games, but over the last month or something, as the Rockets have climbed up the standings to really build his case. And it could he could catch Giannis in the end. I'm not ruling that out. He's certainly a, a close second for me right now. But the Bucks have been. Yeah, they did just lose to the Raptors, but the Bucks have been doing what they're doing uh, really all season, and he hasn't dealt with his own personal cold streak or anything like that. So he's still first for me, and it, the defensive value matters as well. I think too. I think he's pretty comfortably first for me. Um, that that ranking thing that I do, where I rank everybody by. The eight catch-alls, he, the only person he's behind right now is Anthony Davis. And you can't um, – I still can't really wrap my head around an MVP being on a sub-500 team. I know that's, like, kind of archaic. Um, well, to be fair, so I did – I was writing about this uh, leading into the weekend. There have only been two MVPs that have come from teams with losing records. It was Kareem in 75-76 and Bob Pettit in 1955-56. And both of their teams posted a higher winning percentage than the New Orleans Pelicans have now. Interesting, yeah. 
So uh, uh, there's point differentials to consider and stuff, but just by record, Anthony Davis would, if he won the MVP, would come from the worst team precedent. in the history of MVP winners. Yeah. And I don't think Giannis is far off what Davis is doing. I posted a stat the other day that no, right now. No, you posted a stat. <laughs> his, uh, his scoring average right now is higher than Tim Duncan's career high. His rebounding average is higher than Carl Malone's career high. And his assist average is higher than Kobe Bryant's career high. Sorry to uh, bring up Kobe Bryant again. Um, Honestly, about to sign off. <laughs> but his his overall numbers are insane. So in addition to that, he's also averaging like a block and a half and a steal and a half a game to go back to your point on uh, what he does defensively. He's he's just been remarkable this season. Listen to this James Harden number, though. I looked this up right when we started this conversation. <laughs> Over his last 10 games, he is attempting 15.9 threes per game. And listen to this. 14.8 threes per game that are pull-up threes. That's absurd. 14.8 pull-up threes per game. <laughs> That's unbelievable. Greg Popovich just vomited. I want to see... Um, <laughs> now I want to see like what the, the team that leads the NBA in pull-up threes per game is averaging. So take the Rockets out of the equation. Um, can you guess what the second highest team in pull-up threes per game is? Overall for the season or just during the stretch? Overall for the season. I'll give you a hint. Step back. Oh, the Mavericks. Yeah. Dallas Mavericks, uh, 10.7 per game. Wow. (laughs) And Harden is taking 14.8 over the last 10 games or whatever. Um, That's fantastic. For the entire season, Harden is at 11.5. So even over the whole season, he's taking more per game than the number two team in the NBA. Well, then. That's absurd. Um, I don't I don't know if that really lends itself to his MVP case, but what he's doing is I mean, just, he's taking ridiculous shots. I think he's shooting like a zillion percent on those pull-up threes. Too. Well, yeah, and he is like um, – that's a good point. Over the course of the season, his percentage on those pull-ups is 38.9. Um, on those 11 and a half attempts. If I go back to the last 10 games, it's 41.9% on 14.8 attempts. That is crazy. If you, so look, the 15 possessions out of a game that has roughly a hundred possessions and you are getting, um, math here. Oh, this is some really just impromptu. I did not. We did not have a James Harden conversation scheduled for this podcast, as you can most no, definitely I, tell. I, I'm like drawing a blank right now. How many points is he generating on those? So six point two threes per game. He's he's generating almost twenty points on those pull up attempts. Your computer uh, agrees. <laughs> just that. I mean, it's just absurd what he's doing right now. I think I still probably take. Uh, Giannis, but like you said, the gap is closing. He's coming there, and it's just I know Chris Paul's injured, but having him is supposed to lighten James Harden's workload, and instead <laughs> it's never been heavier. His usage rate was, maybe it dropped o- over the weekend, but I checked it before the weekend. No, it actually went up. His 39 usage rate is now the second highest in NBA history. Jeez. 
That's not. There's no way that's what Houston had in mind when they traded and then re-signed Chris Paul. No. Um. And the other the other thing that's crazy is, um, his he's his true shooting percentage is just it's almost sixty two, and he's on pace to win another scoring title. So, that he I, he definitely can. People are saying this stretch is unsustainable, and he's not going to average over forty points per game forever. Uh, though I did look this up, and which was kind of fun, he now has as many forty-point games this season as Paul George and Kevin Love have for their careers. Wow, that's crazy. That's it's an arbitrary random stat, but I found it just hysterical. And he's going to be the league leader in active players in forty-point games by the end of the season. LeBron right now is at sixty-four. Harden is second with sixty. Wow. Here's the thing I was trying to look up earlier. Um, so on those 14.8, uh, pull-ups per game that he's had over the last 10 games. So roughly 15 possessions out of a hundred, roughly like 15% of the game. Um, Houston's offensive rating on those possessions is 125.7. That seems good. <laughs> that, I mean, <laughs> it's just crazy. Last thing on this too, uh, his game winner the other night against the Warriors that shot was unreal. Almost as unreal as that call about Kevin Durant not being out of bounds. Oh, gosh, yeah, that <laughs> one, too. I'm actually surprised your Twitter account wasn't angrier that night. I was I was already, like, I was getting ready to go to sleep. And I thought, the last time I checked up on that game, I thought Golden State had it. Um, and I, it was getting around time where it would end, and I thought, I'll just check Twitter, see what happened. And it was blowing up with all the videos of Kevin Durant being two feet out of bounds. And then there was the game winner. Um, but yeah, that, that was a, uh, unimaginable missed call. I, I mean, people complain about refs in the NBA a lot. Uh, that one was very, very warranted. That was crazy. It was, it was bad. <laughs> it um, was, it was, <laughs> To get back to the James Harden front, though, that shot that you're talking about, do you remember when Russell Westbrook hit that game winner against Denver in 2016-2017? That, that wounded my soul. That Yeah, and that, <laughs> that felt like his omni-MVP moment that he was yeah. going to win the award. This is way earlier because that game had far more stakes attached to it, but that's what it felt like for Harden, kind of. And I, he still wouldn't be my vote, but that's that's what that shot felt like. Oh, if if he wins MVP, that's going to be on all the highlight reels for sure. I mean, I guess unless he does it again, we're not even halfway through the season, so who knows what he's going to do at this point. But, um, yeah, he's uh, it's amazing because I don't think let's let's go back let's go back three weeks, maybe even a month, maybe even just two weeks. Is he even top five on your MVP ballot? No, not before this stretch started. Yeah, um, it was. I don't know, two or three weeks ago, it was probably Giannis, Anthony Davis, because the Pelicans were a little bit better. Then uh, LeBron was probably there. Uh, Jokic was in the conversation for a little bit. Remember when Barkley said that he was playing MVP-level basketball? Um, right now, it seems like it's a two-man race between Harden and Antetokounmpo, though. It does seem like it's there. Uh, do you know what I found? And I'm not using this as a case um, against Harden. But on the season, 
the the Rockets are basically his net rating differential is just basically dead even. You know what's weird is it is still dead. Uh, wait, no, it's not dead even. I, I used the filter wrong, but it was dead even heading into the weekend, and now they are overall they're actually point nine points per one hundred possessions better when he's off the court. That comes with the caveat. I'm not this again. I just I found it interesting since Chris Paul has been out. Um, they are. 6.8 points better per 100 possessions with him on the court. So, One interesting thing about him is for the last two or three years, um, his net rating swing has not been as good as you would think it would be. I mean, generally guys that are in the MVP conversation are shifting their team's net rating by like 10 points right. or something around there. For the last three seasons, um, at least on basketball reference, his net rating swing is 3.7, which is still good. But it's just not um, – like Giannis right now has got to be in double digits. Or at least, he definitely was last season. He is at, what, would you, what would you say if I told you he was not in double digits? Oh, he is not. I just looked him up too. Um, 4.5. That goes to Milwaukee being so much better this season. Um, so so that's maybe not as, as much of a feather in Giannis's cap as I thought it would be. But um, – yeah, interestingly enough, Harden's is not quite as dramatic as you would expect. Can you of the of the MVP conversation, can you <clears throat> name pick who would be who has the highest net rating differential among them? Because I have it here and I think the name my guess is the name might surprise you. I think the last time I checked Davis's was pretty big, so I'll just say him. No, he is fourth. Ah. Um do you want to? Do you care to take another stab at it? Um, I don't think it's LeBron because his was pretty close for a while. Uh, it's it's not Jokic because his has not been as dramatic as it's been in years past. <laughs> um, Look at you doing the process of elimination. I can't. I can't think of who else it would be. I'm going to have to let you tell me. Paul George. Oh, interesting. Yeah. I would not have guessed that. The Thunder are 16.3 points per 100 possessions better this season with him on the floor. I'm glad you brought him up because he's an MVP candidate too. He is. I did an MVP ladder at Bleach Report uh, that went live, I think, on Friday. I have Paul George as number four on my ballot behind Anthony Davis, who I feel like you can't put him one or two because the Pelicans are bad. Or I don't want to say bad, but they're not great. But he's just so dominant in the individual category that how do you not put him in the top three and so it's safe because top three doesn't win and then I have Harden at number two and Giannis number one there's a chance I I think Paul George can obviously catch Davis the Harden thing is interesting because it really just depends on whether he cools off how much he cools off by where the Rockets are but he could end up in my book he could end up being top three on the ballot yeah I could definitely see that. Oh, and number two, I'm just going to throw this out there because Kevin Durant had the lead in the net rating argument, by the way, heading into the weekend. He's number two right now, which surprised me. Yeah, that surprises me too. And Joel Embiid, for anyone who cares, is is number three. He has an interesting MVP case as well. Um, Anthony Davis, by the way, this is per 36 minutes. This is kind of – it's. Again, it's another arbitrary stat, but I like it. Per 36 minutes, he's averaging more points than Damian Lillard, uh, more rebounds than Carl Anthony Towns, more assists than Donovan Mitchell, more steals than Giannis Attentacumpo, and more blocks than Rudy Gobert. 
That is crazy. Just yeah, a, I mean, just a one man tour de force. Excuse yeah, I mean he's that. insane. Tour de force, Woj over there. That was my. That might have been one of my favorite Woj tweets of all time. <laughs> yeah, that was that was incredible. Speaking of Jimmy Butler, <laughs> yes, um, I did want to ask if you had any thoughts on the. We kind of touched on it with the Timberwolves thing, and I know you had something about the Cavaliers you wanted to get to, but the Chandler Parsons situation in Memphis, uh, per Woj and and Tim McMahon over at ESPN dot com. They the Grizzlies and Parsons have parted ways and they're working towards a resolution for his situation. Uh they the Grizzlies apparently view his expiring contract next season over the summer as a potential trade ship. And so that kind of leaves a buyout puts a buyout off the table if they're along those lines. So right now they're trying to find a solution via trade, which I think is going to be difficult. That or they want Parsons to go uh to the G League to not as a rehab assignment, but basically as a tryout for the Grizzlies to see whether he could be put back in the rotation. Yeah. So do you think he's, I guess, as you point out before, his deal comes off the books after next year. Do you think he's movable or does it have to be, is it only movable in the sense that it would have to be like an Andrew Wiggins type trade? And even there, we talked about how the Timberwolves might have to include a sweetener, but at that point they have to be committed to selling Wiggins instead of viewing him as a, as an asset. Yeah. That's an interesting situation. Um, I think I saw some debate on Twitter last night about whether it was a rehab assignment or a tryout. But, I mean, if if it was posed to him as a tryout or if he interpreted it as a tryout, then I I could understand his frustration. I mean, that's a guy that's getting paid a ton of money. Um, if it's a rehab assignment, I think that's kind of run of the mill at this point. So it's <laughs> obviously that's like a semantics thing uh but like you said before we started recording memphis is just kind of a mess right now i don't know i think obviously his trade value goes up over the off season when he's all of a sudden an expiring contract instead of you know a year and a half left on this deal um you have no idea how long he can play whether he can even play uh the last couple times he's come back he's looked good for stretches and then he just he, he can't play anymore right uh Last season, I remember, we were cautiously optimistic about the Grizzlies for the, the first few games. That bench unit with Chandler Parsons and Tyreek Evans was really, really good. And then he just, you know, stuff flared up for him again, and all of a sudden he couldn't play. So <laughs> I don't think any team is going to trade for him thinking that he's going to play, um, at least not a lot. So that that complicates his trade value right there. He becomes sort of a... Um, he's just like a money piece of a trade. Uh, uh, it's kind of like you're saying, maybe it's something like the Wiggins deals that we kicked around earlier. I just, I, I don't know how any team can trade for him expecting to get like a rotation player at this point. Um, he's just, he's just an expiring contract. It's, which is sad, but he, I think he's reached that point in his career. Some guys come back from these, prolonged injury riddled stretches like Grant Hill didn't play really much at all for, I don't know how long his issues went on. Um, he was basically hurt from 2000, 2001 through 2003, really through all five Oh six for one, two, three, four, five, six seasons. 
he played 135 games, so just over 20 games a season. Um, he's he's an exception, though. I, there aren't many guys who go through six years of being injury plagued and then all of a sudden are you know on the court for 82 games again. Um, you would hope for the best for something like that for Chandler Parsons, but generally speaking, when you've had injury problems, um, as varied as his are and as long as his are, it's just it's hard to get back on the floor consistently. Yeah, and the the other thing with his contract too is what makes it problematic. So we talked about the Wiggins thing. And if there's a deal out there that's long term that you're looking to get off of that money beyond next season, then maybe there's a road to an agreement. But if you look at let's look at the Nicholas Batum case. Yes, Chandler Parsons comes off the books a year earlier, but he's not saving you any money for next season. And so now you're trading someone who you could actually play for I think he's making in that scenario about half a million dollars less than Nicholas Batum. So if you're a team that wants to compete next season, that's not really actually helping you because it's not creating appreciable cap room. And so it puts you in this weird situation where unless you're taking back that or go or targeting a team that has those super long-term goals. And I don't know that there's a team out there or more specifically, I don't know if there's a contract out there that fits that bill. Wiggins would come the closest, would it not? I mean, maybe if the Miami Heat had some foresight, you could package Deion Waiters and James Johnson together if they didn't want to pay them. They have both have two years left on their deal, so maybe they're looking at it as, well, we could get by even if Chandler Parsons doesn't play, and then we're going to have extra money um, for the summer of 2020 now. Uh, maybe, but it doesn't seem like there's that that situation out there for them or that contract out there for them to target um, as a vessel of a Chandler Parsons trade, unless I'm forgetting anyone right off the bat. I mean, we could go to the Wizards deals, but I don't even think that you're, they're not that desperate to get off of an auto Porter. No, nor should they be. Um, Grizzlies would be interesting, I guess, <laughs> for Andrew Wiggins. I, you know, I, we've already talked about this. I, I think that well, he I'm prob- just more so trying to spot what is the other. Yeah, where to go with Chandler Parsons? Because I don't even like we maybe Batum because there was that report. I found this hysterical, by the way, from Sporting News' Sean Navini that the Hornets want to trade Nicholas Batum, um, and they want that, but they're also willing to trade Frank Kaminsky, but they want people to take on Batum if they're yeah. going to get Kaminsky. And I'm, I was like, oh, <laughs> and Kaminsky doesn't really carry that value right now, Charlotte. Uh, <laughs> no, yeah, yeah, it's. Uh, uh, it's hard to find a destination for Chandler Parsons. Um, I, I think if they're going to trade him, they're probably going to have to attach assets and he's going to end up going to some team like Phoenix or something. Right. Uh, where he just doesn't even play. I mean, as sad as it is, I, I think that's kind of where he's headed. I am with you there. You had a, before we get out of here, you had some, we don't talk about the Cavaliers enough on this podcast. <laughs> You had an interesting number before we started. Oh, the one thing I will say about the Cavs, though, is I saw on, I don't know if I was reading something or was on Twitter, but people calling for them to uh, play the young guys more. And I just don't, I don't really understand what that means. I don't think they've been, I don't think they've been playing the wrong players at this point. So I don't, I don't, I just didn't understand what was being said there. I mean, here are their top five players in minutes per game. Over the, since December 1st, Chetty Osman, Colin Sexton, Tristan Thompson, Alec Burks, and Larry Nance Jr. And if you look at 
the players behind them, there's Jordan Clarkson, Rodney Hood, Matthew Dellavedova, uh, Jaron Blossom game, uh, Patrick McCaw for a minute. That was really funny. I, I mean, yeah. unless you're like a big uh, anti-Zizic fan or you think that David Nwaba, when he's healthy, is the future of this team somehow. I don't know what I don't know what the complaints are. Is just my point. They must, they must just want Colin Sexton to play forty eight minutes a game. Yeah, secure the tank. Um, we we talked about MVP candidates earlier. Uh, we didn't talk a whole lot about LeBron James, but the Lakers are kind of a mess without him. And then I was you know I I was looking at Cleveland's simple rating system the other day, which is just point differential plus strength of schedule. Um, there are 1,513 teams in basketball references team season finder. Um, right now, Cleveland's SRS ranks 1,502nd. Um, Seems low. (laughs) Only 11 teams in NBA history were worse. The only team since 2000 that were worse, uh, the 2014 76ers, the beloved 2014 process 76ers, um, the 2000 Clippers, and the 2012 Bobcats. Um, so, speaking of MVP candidates, the Lakers are a mess without LeBron, and just the Cavaliers, uh, my goodness. Um, I think I was one of those people who was like cautiously optimistic that they could get 30 to 35 wins this season, and maybe I was factoring in Kevin Love playing a whole season, but even even with him, I can't imagine they would have been pushing for 35 wins. I mean, they, they are a train wreck without LeBron. Um, it, it's just been an historically bad season for them. And it's, it's better to be bad so that you're going to improve your lottery odds. But the, yeah. this is where the, the lottery rule changes start to matter though, because look, look at the odds for the worst five teams in the league, 14%, 14%, 14% for the teams with the three worst records. So right there, if you're Cleveland and we're going to assume that they'll keep the NBA's worst record, you're in a three-way tie for chance of getting the number one overall pick. Fourth fourth worst record, 12.5%. Fifth worst record, 10.5%. That's super close. I mean, you could even throw right now the Wizards who have the sixth worst record of a 9% chance at the number one pick if the lottery started today. And that's, there's no guarantee. They're... It's pretty, that's an interesting, um, Imagine if the team with like the seventh or eighth worst record right now got Zion Williamson. I like. What if New Orleans got Zion Williamson? That would be funny. <laughs> the only thing is, is that their best, other best players are these front court guys. Yeah, that's true. They'd probably have to trade Miritich or Rand. Well, I guess Randall's on an expiring contract. Both of them are, yeah, right? So, and that's the problem for them is then. Then what do you do? Okay, great. We have Zion. I guess you can go with the cap space route at that point. But, but that's also. If you're if you're the Pelicans and people are talking about if things get bad enough, maybe they should trade Anthony Davis this season. When you look at the teams that are in play for the number one overall pick this year, Washington, New York, Chicago, even Cleveland, if they decide to hang on to Kevin Love, I'm waiting. Even if Anthony Davis says, I want out, I'm waiting to see if anyone who wins a lottery is going to build a package around the number one pick. Because yeah. the other offers are still going to be there. And right now, you're not even going to get an offer from the Celtics. So your your field of offers is only going to improve over the summer, probably. Yeah, that's a good point. That, but that's just that, that was a weird tangent. But there, you're right. I didn't even think about the Pelicans aspect. They have a six percent chance. It's the eighth best odds, but it's not. When you're just looking at having the awesome. worst record, no longer 
carries this cachet. Yeah. And I get that it still matters, but when you're actually watching the team or you're a fan of the team and you're going through the losing and people are just saying, well, this is what they need to do. When you know that the yeah. the reward might not be worth the trade-off of that season or as much, it's probably a lot more difficult to stumble. Well, think of it this way. You could have the worst record in the NBA and you still have an 86% chance to not get the number one pick. Yeah, uh, I think that's how you have to look. Their most likely scenario is they have a 52.1% chance of having a top four pick. <laughs> but even that's not, I mean, the lottery odds, I, this conversation is like, for for the last several months, I thought it wasn't that dr- dramatic of a change, but I'm, I'm having like an epiphany right now. <laughs> it's, I, I mean, let's say you're a Knicks fan. As of right now, there's a 51.9% chance that you won't have a top four pick. Yeah, that's crazy. <laughs> on the sim, on the sim I just did on Tankathon, though, they end up with number two. So you're wel- you are welcome for that. Do you want to have my pre-draft hot take? If I have the number two pick and Zion Williamson's gone, I'm taking Cam Reddish. I don't really love RJ Barrett either. I mean, I, I probably haven't watched him enough, but he's in college and he's he's scoring like 22 points on 19 shots. I, I need a little bit more efficiency out of my. Speaking potential. of Kobe, yeah, seriously, <laughs> yeah, that's a that's a great uh, way to bring it back. Um, <laughs> anything else we want to hit on today? No, the just a lot. The lottery race is all of a sudden just. It's not all of a sudden, but it's just going to be very interesting. To the actual lottery is just going to have incredible ramifications. Yeah, I'm I'm all of a sudden like way more excited about that. Last two sims I did on Takeathon gave the Knicks the number one pick though, so you'll be happy to know that. So look, if they end up with Zion or Cam, I'll be fine. That's all that needs yeah. to happen, and that's clearly based on what you just did. That's the most likely outcome. So what's going to happen? Um, and until next time, uh, as always, we, we, uh, implore, beg of you, uh, encourage you to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. If you've already done those things, share it with your friends, uh, share it with your family, share it with the random person that you're sitting next to on the, the subway or the bus or, uh, uh, in your commute to work, just any celebrities w- you might know. Yeah. Just in general, get people subscribing to Hardwood Knox cause you know, it'll brighten their lives. Um, not just their days. It will literally brighten their lives. Um, until next time, we leave you with the shout-out to Ben Udry and Kyle Anderson. And uh, I forgot the Twitter handles. <laughs> Dan's at Dan Favalli. I'm at Andrew D. Bailey. The show's at Arwood Knox. Uh, sponsors at NB underscore math. This was the most scattered ending I've had in a while, but that's probably appropriate given our break. <laughs>